This is not psychotherapy. Dr. Wills does not have a provider-patient relationship with this guest. These are just two people talking about emotions. Welcome to Give a Actually with your host, Dr. Alex Wills. by Jason S. Frischman. How's it going today, Jason? Oh, it's great. How are you? Good. It's early for me. I guess it's 10 o'clock over there on the East Coast where you're at, and it's 8 a.m. over here in Idaho. Excellent. Well, I got started today, and if it makes you feel any better. A little brief intro about Jason. He's been working for 25 years to support individuals, groups, families, organizations, and businesses. Jason is excited to bring over two decades of work in offices, institutions, kitchens, farmers markets, woodlots, and boardrooms to wild new environments. Whether as a psychotherapist, the creator and founder of Journeyman, public speaker, thought leader, or narrative consultant, Jason believes that our lives are adventurous and we can and choose to be active, engaged, the author of our own adventure stories. So that that's exciting. Do you want to Tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of explain there's, there's a lot there, a lot of really cool experiences. There's, you know, it, it's been, it's funny as you, I haven't read that in a while. So as you read that, I, I was smiling at, at sort of the thinking about my own background, but um, yeah, I think the three primary things that have been guideposts in all of my life adventures have really been active, adventurous kind of uh, experiences. Storytelling and nourishment, nourishing others, nourishing myself. And, and those three things are sort of the background of everything I do. So my wife and I had a small food business for a while. Um, I've done a lot of education and activism around food ways and traditional nourishing foods. Um, but then, yeah, I have a, a master's degree in adventure therapy and my doctorate was really focused on narrative therapy and postmodern collaborative work. And so... You know, I'm a, I, I'm a, a storytelling, adventurous, nourishing hero, healer or whatnot. Um, but yeah, I, I think it, it's been over the years, it's been um, a very circuitous and, and wavy path, but it all makes sense in retrospect. <laughs> yeah, that's, it's funny how life can work that way. Adventure therapy. Can you tell us a bit, what is that and how, how did you get interested in it? Well, um, so it's a fairly, it's an international field. It's, 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 I would say small, but it's been growing quite a bit. And frankly, I have not been as active in it, you know, the last decade or so, but basically adventure therapy is the use of active experiential methods. So it could be anything from a ropes course to facilitated games or outdoor wilderness adventures. So active experiential methods paired with metaphor to help individuals or groups work on the issues that they're coming to therapy for and treatment for. So it's been fascinating and wonderful that I found it. I was always interested. I started my career working in residential treatment centers out in the woods of New Hampshire. And I was finishing college and someone said, Hey, you may want to look at this program down in, you know, Southern Georgia and where I never thought ever I would live. And, um, it was perfect. I went down there for a weekend to, to, to meet everybody and 
knew right away, like I came home and, and applied to the program and got started. And fortunately it was, it was really timely. It was at the time, the only program offering a master's in adventure therapy in the world. And it's not for lots of bureaucratic stuff at the university, but it stopped after my year. So I used to be able to say like, you know, I'm one of nine academically trained adventure therapists in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, now, since then, it's, it's grown quite a bit. But basically, the idea of using the concept and metaphor of adventures or journeys and then taking these experiential things, whether it's playing dodgeball or kayaking, and taking every structure of the experience and connecting it metaphorically to the different elements and aspects of the issues that we're working on. And so you can have the experience be a microcosm of the lived issues that they're working on. And so you can do that in a group in a facilitated way. And through the processing of those experiences, people move forward in their lives. Yeah. When I was a young teen, I used to go to summer camp every summer. And it reminds me, we used to do these adventure activities and then they would be sort of incorporated into some kind of a life lesson for For example, one night around midnight, our counselor got us out of the cabin and he's like, we're going to go move a giant rock. And so like all 10 of us were gathered around this giant boulder out in the woods. And we was like, we're going to, we're going to move this thing and try as we might, us little scrawny kids couldn't move this giant boulder, even with the help of our big counselor. And so he he incorporated (laughs) kind of a, a life lesson into that. And is it that sort of a thing? And do you go on like these, like, you know, weekend journeys or long hikes, or is it mostly kind of short term? Well, that is basically the idea and the the concept of adventure being, you know, a whole spectrum from recreational to educational, to therapeutic, to therapy, right? So there's a whole range of these things, Mm -hmm. but you're right. You know, as you were talking about, you know, pushing the rock, I was like, well, that's right with metaphor, right? And so, you know, that is absolutely a great place to start with it. And in terms of whether it's weekends or going out for longer expeditionary learning or therapeutic experiences, you'll find in the adventure therapy field, the entire range. And, um, Mm -hmm. you know, for me, I took it a very different direction because I wasn't, I, frankly, I wasn't interested in going off for two weeks at a time or a week, you know, I, I, I have a family, I have two kids, um, I'll do those kinds of outdoor experiences on my own and with my friends. Um, I have always been really interested in the space between those types of adventures. So home life and how, how that can be adventurous. And, um, you know, I started my career after, well, after I got my master's and after I hiked the Appalachian Trail, I started my career in Boston, um, working with, with school kids and, you know, for them, getting to get it, getting through the streets to school every day was an adventure. And we were, you know, my office at the time was truly a bathroom that they put a table over the toilet and we sat with our <laughs> knees touching the bowl. And so I wasn't taking people out into the wilderness, but we were living adventures and using the metaphor. So for me, it developed over the years as what is an adventure and what is a journey and how is that? How is all of life an adventure and how can we integrate that into the everyday? And that's actually become foundational for the work I do now with men. And so um, while I love the whole idea of going off and doing backpacking and it's incredibly powerful, um, the sort of angle that I take is 
how do we increase or elevate the mundane in our everyday lives? How do we, how do we find the magic every day as opposed to just when we're all, you know, uh, battling dragons and finding treasure. And if people want to find you as the best place to go, journeymenfoundation.com. Yes, that, that's the, uh, the, I mean, I'm on socials, but I think that's the best way you can, you know, leave me an email through there or, uh, uh, there's, I have a newsletter that I started and, um, people can contact me directly from that. And it also gives you some information about the program. That's right. That would be the great, the best place. Great. Yeah, yeah. Anything else about what you're up to these days that you wanted to announce or, or let folks know before we get into the, the deeper stuff? <laughs> Yeah, well, uh, I mean, just, you know, really quickly, I would say what has uh, been born out of adventure, storytelling, and nourishment is this Journeyman Men's Program. It's a, it's a men's coaching program for fathers where um, we call to question or pull apart the cultural narratives of masculinity and fatherhood and help guys to sort of write their own story which involves really starting by being connected with themselves, their kids and their partners at home, and then how they take that out into the community and the workspace. So um, right now I'm running groups, doing some individual work, and I'm doing a lot of sort of speaking and workshopping about the model, which um, we can maybe get into it another time, but it, it is indirect. It's a direct answer to the hero's journey and the like omnipresence of the hero's journey. And, you know, I'll throw this down, but I just think the fact that the hero's journey is everywhere is actually quite harmful to boys and men. And so the journeyman mm. is an answer to that. And um, it's, it's in many ways, it's our mission to elevate, like I said, elevate the status of every day, but also to, by being more connected, create more uh, powerful partnerships and allyships with others that, you know, frankly, you know, white cis males have had troubles with in the past. And so, you know, there's a social action and responsibility element to the work we do. And a lot of it starts at home. So that's the main piece of what we're doing yeah. these days. <laughs> well, great. I'm going to definitely be contacting you. I think you could help me up with a lot of interesting things and challenges in those departments with fatherhood and marriage and the new masculinity that it's, yeah, pretty, pretty rich stuff. Oh, it's Did you think of anything in particular that you wanted to to talk about today, or is it anything coming up for you so far as we're sort of connecting? You know, it. I when I when I read that question earlier, or you know, last week or whatnot, it was interesting because you know you got to choose how choose your level, choose your own adventure of level of, of uh, vulnerability, and. The story that continues to come up for me that I certainly don't mind sharing is a time oof, probably about five or six years ago. And it really, it was, I think the first time my son, who at the time was nine or 10, he's 15 now, saw me as mortal. It was, it was when, you know, as Papa, I fell from grace and, um, mm. Yeah, it, it was, it was incredibly poignant and meaningful and, and difficult. And, you know, um, I debated a lot whether or not that's what I wanted to bring up, but I figure, you know, it was, it's been a massive part of my own growth and, and learning and, and presentation as a therapist and coach. So, you know, I'll share that. Yeah, for sure. So 
Yeah, kind of, kind of going into that. What when when that fall from grace happened, and you you recognized that he he saw that you were no longer, I guess, Superman and yeah. invincible, indestructible. What emotions came up for you without necessarily explaining why? If you could just sort of list the different emotions you noticed. Well, you know, I, I, the first thing that comes to mind is loss and sadness. Um, you know, there was, um, certainly some shame and I would say there was a, a motivation, right? Like, you know, you want to fix it. You want to do better, or I wanted to fix it. I wanted to do better. So motivation sort of grew out of those other things, but I, I think loss and shame and sadness were really the primary ones there. And that's what comes up now, even just thinking about it for sure. Yeah. And, and that's, that's so relatable. And, you know, I want folks to notice that even though we don't know the, you know, details, the play by play of exactly what happened, it's already <clears throat> deeply moving, at least to me, I, I can relate. What's coming up for me is fear because, you know, I have some definite anxiety and fear about that happening with my kiddo i've got one son he's only two and a half right now but it's enjoyable you know being sort of the the superhero right now and being kind of you know this figure to him that's just you know so great you know we know it's not true but it's fun to sort of play <laughs> that role in their younger years right absolutely and and you know it's I think there's a common fear i hear it with a lot of the men i work with there's that common fear of when's that gonna all break and then that element of, well, and also if you create a strong foundation of, of relation and, and relating and whatnot, it can survive that, which is what we've done. It was hard. It was, it was, it was, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, it, it, it was one of these things that was eye-opening for me. I, I used to joke that until our kids are about three or four, we can get away with a lot. You know, like we can stay up too late and wake up in the morning with the kid and kind of be half asleep on the couch, rocking them. And, you know, there's a lot of things that, that dads, I'll speak for to dads, but dads can kind of get away with in not being their best selves. And, and the sooner we handle that, the sooner we manage that, the, the, the better it gets. And then we're not just being superheroes, we're, we're being heroes. We're being, you know, at, at level. And, and so for me, um, it was something that I was hoping would come later in our lives together, but it, it is what it was. And, and ultimately I think it, it turned into something, I mean, he's 15 now, and I think we have a wonderful relationship that is more authentic and genuine than the time when I was just a superhero immortal. Um, doesn't mean it's not hard still, but it is, I think more genuine and more grounded where even if we do have an argument, neither one of us is as scared, at least as I was at that point in my life. Was there a particular moment when this all came to climax or was it more of a gradual thing when he was about nine or 10? No, it was, it was a moment. I mean, it was, uh, you know, I, um, he, he basically watch like we we all we get together with friends every new year's and we've been doing it for about 25 years and um they the kids have all grown up together and it's a very comfortable 
wonderful kind of experience for all of us, meaningful. And, you know, one night in the middle of the night, he woke up and looked out the window and saw me doing something that, you know, I probably shouldn't have been doing. And he, everyone, I mean, just for all the listeners, I was smoking marijuana. It wasn't anything that was, you know, egregious. I'm not going to lose my job. I'm not going to lose my family and any of those things. And I don't know why I felt that I needed to just explain that. But anyway, you know, he saw me smoke, smoking some pot and it broke something in his mind. Now he was aware that, you know, you know, he, he was, we live in Vermont. He was aware about cannabis. He was, it was literally the smoking element and it really bothered him about being, you know, unhealthy and that I shouldn't do it. And that night he came downstairs and was just, I, I've never experienced him being so angry and upset with me and I disappointed really in many ways. Uh, right. And I had gone, I had gone to great measures to not be doing that in front of him. And I don't do it often. It was new year's, you know, those kind of things. And so it was, it was a big thing for me at the time. Sure. Both of us. And yeah, going into those emotions, the sadness, the shame, what, why do we humans, why do we men have these emotions? You know, if they're not just there to make us feel worse and to torture us, what's yeah. the purpose? What do you think those painful, I can imagine the depth even now, it sounds like was, you know, pretty painful. What purpose or function did those serve and how, how are they helping you? How did they help you or, or did they just hurt you more? Um, they, well, they certainly helped and it, it certainly, um, served me. It's a good, good word, word. I mean, I said that, well, after working through some of that, some of the feelings that came were motivation and, and things like that was, you know, it's a little on the nose, but it really prompted me to be better, you know, to make better, some better choices and to, you know, be more open and, and direct with, with my kids and, and, and really help me to grow. Um, it's funny that you asked that, you know, I think I mentioned in, in one of our text messages back and forth that I, I think the way you're looking at these emotions, you know, after reading some of your stuff and all that is very similar to what I call imps in the work I do. And imps are these backstories and patterns of emotion and thought that kind of, you know, I, you have a book that's called, you know, that uses fuck. So I can, I can swear, I imagine, but, uh, you know, these imps are, are patterns and behaviors that kind of screw shit up and, and, and bugger stuff up in our lives. And our job is to have a better relationship with them. And so that they can sit at our table or be on our council or, you know, whatever the metaphor grows out of. But for me, the, the the shame and the sadness and the loss was grew into a commitment to be authentic and real and better really for, for my family. I mean, I, I, I'm, I might say that some of that is a really what pushed me towards growing and developing journeyman because, you know, I needed to be proud of myself even more so. Right. Like I think I was, you know, I'm, I'm a good dad. I'm a good partner. I, you know, I've got a lot to grow with, but it, it for, it was a massive kind of like, okay, we're going to do what we say and say what we do more often, more powerfully. Um, and in, in, in a way that, you know, my kids, I, I, I want to be real and mortal to my kids and I want the real and more the reality and the mortality to be connecting, not, not distressing so yeah i love that word authentic 
the other word you use, the imps, how, how do you spell that? And how would you define that for? Sure. So imps are I-M-P, I-M-P-S, right? And the imps, you know, it comes from, I'm a big fan of folklore and fantasy and adventure stories. And imps are in almost every culture's, you know, folk tales and folk stories. They're called lots of different names, but basically they're the little, you know, the little beings that run around and either help or harm or get in the way. They're the house hobs from Harry Potter or, you know, in, in <laughs> Norwegian folklore, they're called Tomten. And, you know, the Tomten are like little, they're, you know, like Smurfs. They're like little, uh, someone's going to get angry about that. But anyway, they're like little beings that, you know, traditionally the Tomten, if you don't leave them a bowl of buttered porridge outside the farm, then they like mess, you know, they mess up your crops. They, but if you do, they help everything grow. And, and so imps are these, I, they, these beings or these patterns or these energies that really have been with us most of our lives. And they are buggering things up. They, they get in the way, like when we think about our reactivity or our impatience or our anger or our fear, all of these things. They, these are patterned responses and we tend to identify with them. And so I'm this, I'm impatient, I'm, you know, and what a lot of the work will do, and it's through narrative therapy and, and through some of the work I've, I've done is we'll pull it out and look at it mm -hmm. and really embody it and, and try to have a relation. We'll learn about it, learn where it uh, you know, how it sort of came to be. And, and in talking with many men over the years about imps, the reality that I've discovered, I've found, I don't want to say I've discovered, but I've learned is the vast majority of our imps, if we really sat them down and said, Hey, what's going on here? They would be like, Hey, I'm doing the best I can to help you. I'm trying to be here to keep you safe. I'm trying to here to keep, you know, and frankly, looking at the history of them, they did keep us safe or comfortable or whatever when we were younger, but their methods haven't been up to date. They're, they haven't been trained to be who we are, to, to really help who we are now as adults. And, and, and so the work that I'll do with myself, because I run myself through this program and the men that I work with is we get to know our imps, we get to know their patterns, and then we teach them or we train them or we tame them. And, and each man comes up with their own metaphor for how they want to be with them. Because, you know, different from the way that our industry lives in the medical model, we're not going to kill it, cut it out or banish it from the kingdom. These are a part of who we are. And so, yeah, um, by getting to know our imps, we can build up our support team, our inner support team kind of thing. Yeah. And correct me if I'm wrong, but it's reminiscent of internal family systems where we're very curious about our internal family of different parts or subpersonalities. Very similar. It's, it's, I'm, I, you know, newly learning about it, but every time I bring up imps, you know, that gets brought up and I, I just finished a book on it. There's absolutely a, a lot, a lot of similarities for sure, you know, and, um, it's a combination of some of the parts work from internal family systems and the externalizing work from narrative family or narrative therapy. Nice. I love that. Yeah. yeah I, I gave credit to internal family systems in, in give a fuck actually, because that was, you know, very, very helpful in trying to become curious about these emotions and instead of 
trying to fix it, trying to, you know, make it into a problem instead. Like you said, I really love that idea that's like, well, they're trying to help. They're, they're doing the best they can. They're not, they're not there just to cause mischief. And, you know, maybe they were adaptive in the past and, but, but they, they maybe need to, you know, mature or, or they need to maybe have like learn a new role or something. So it's kind of be, becoming curious, working with it, integrating it rather than trying to ostracize these parts of ourselves and cast them away forever. hundred percent. Yeah. And I think, you know, as that becomes one of the most powerful, but challenging pieces of work in journeyman, because you know, something that's, that feels like it's been screwing stuff up for so long. And I'm telling them, yeah, it could be helpful to you. If you just bring it in, most mm -hmm. men have been, have started off being really quite dubious about that. But as they become more and more aware of their imps, you know, we name them. Sometimes we draw them. I have them interview their imps, you know, and as we become more aware of them, there's an increased ability to sort of stop and, and respond rather than react. And so you know, for me, just to bring it back to your question, right? Some of that, you know, guilt or shame or loss was, you know, truly was connected to other things in my history. You know, it was based in a moment where I did make a mistake. And so it triggered not just that moment, but all sorts of other times in my life because I'm human, right? You know, and so... Yeah. It was particularly poignant, challenging, and, and frankly, really hard. Um, but growing sort of through that in terms of being more aware and learning sort of how some of these emotional experiences will sort of, they emerge because I have places to grow and, and they're almost reminders for me. You know, I do. Yeah. There, there's a reason when I read your, your, your thing that that's the story that came right up. You know. Yeah, for sure. No, it's, I mean, I love the emotion of shame there. I've been working on another book and it's actually about shame. It's called shame is good mm. <laughs> and exploring oh, wow. this emotion that has really been a problem, you know, a very big problem for folks, but for people that are trying to apply, you know, the five steps of radical emotional acceptance, just to kind of give us a framework to go through. In this case, and it's such a really relatable story, you know, you get caught doing something that you, you know, didn't want to be doing in front of your kid. And then that shatters their sense of your, you know, superhero status. It, it's so relatable. The first step is to drop the fuck shield or to recognize that we have these defense mechanisms or these shield emotions. So what, what was your go-to shield emotion, like anger, or was there a defense mechanism? Did you try to rationalize or, you know, what, what are your go-to defense mechanisms that you typically find when, mm -hmm. when there comes these uncomfortable emotions like a shame or sadness that we obviously want to avoid? Uh, you know, certainly there was irritability and impatience, you know, mm -hmm. it, it, it's funny, you know, I, I've done a lot of sort of my own work, men's work, you know, all of this kind of thing. And in some ways the answer is so one that is still one that, that I think would be oops, relatable and familiar, which is, and it's not really an emotion, but it's a coping mechanism, which was, well, we got to get shit done. We got to go, you know, like, like it was sort of pushing it to the side because we have to, you know, move on. Like, look, I'm sorry, you know, I'm, I've always been good or, or comfortable apologizing. I think it's very powerful. And, and so I was 
probably impatient and irritable in that I said, yeah, I own it. I'm sorry. Let's move on. Right. So it was Mm -hmm. in some ways Mm. not being there for myself and holding it for, for whomever, you know, this time with my kid. And there were lots of, of kind of, he would want, I mean, he was nine or 10. He wanted to process things and, and he'd bring things up, not always all appropriately because he's nine or 10 and I didn't react as, as, as patiently and as sort of genuinely as I might have upon upon reflection, but it was almost like, yes, yeah, I validate your experience and I'm sorry, but let's now go back (laughs) to being the way we were, you know, and, and that's just the way things work, you know, that's what I tell my clients. (laughs) Yeah, that's such a great example. And so we have this desire to avoid it or to fix it. You know, we want to, if we can figure out a way to get rid of the, the painful emotions, why not? And then We've already done step two, which is to to name the fuck or to name those uncomfortable emotions. You talked about this sense of loss, this pain, the sadness, the shame, and then getting into step three, listen to the fuck. So we've been talking a little bit about the wisdom that this gave you. I was curious, though, before we go to step four, which is you did an awesome step four, act on the fuck, you know, act on the wisdom of these emotions, meaning You decided that you wanted to be better, be more authentic. This even informed your work and your vocation. And now you're helping lots of men, you know, in a way that wouldn't have been possible before. But going back to the wisdom or, you know, listen to the emotion. I'm curious, when you had that shame, that sadness, what was the story? Because we we separate the emotion, the pure emotion, like the shame, the sadness, from the narrative, the story that we tell ourselves about it. Did it mean anything bad about you? Did this say that you were a failure? Did you have any self-esteem issues? What, what was your story that just automatically came to you when this happened? Um, I'm sure it's rooted in sort of some self-esteem issues. I think for me, the story was, you know, I'm a fake, right? Like here I am. Everyone thinks I'm an amazing father because, you know, I'm pretty present with my kids and, you know, like outwardly and, and, you know, frankly, I am a good dad, but I, 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 you know, at that point there was a lot of imposter. There was a lot of, you know, um, you know, this idea of like, I've not made it. I've not, I'm not, re- I'm not, I'm not fully done, you know, and, and there was a lot of, you know, sort of real sadness about that because, you know, I, you know, I, I worked in residential treatment centers. I lived with kids. I've been working with kids truly since I was 12 and would go to work with my mom, who was a teacher. And I have loved working with kids for my whole life. And so all of a sudden it was this, oh my God, like I am not who I think I am. And I, I am not as good as I thought I was. And, you know, who the heck am I now to be trying to do this stuff where I'm helping other people? Right. And it's probably, mm-hmm. I really, I don't actually like that sort of term imposter syndrome, which probably means it has something to teach me, but I think it gets used a lot. And that mm-hmm. is probably the, the, the main or even the only time where it hit me to a place where, um, you know, I was, I was really stalled because I, I was just like, mm-hmm. you know, oh my gosh, like what's happened here. Right. Yeah. This is the kind of thing I hear about in my office, not that I do. And when we go ahead and question that story, we're validating that the shame is real. Shame, 
you know, emotions are unavoidable. They happen to us. We didn't wake up today saying, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to serve myself a big helping of shame today. It just, it happens to us. We recognize it. I, I describe shame as this fireball, painful, powerful emotion. Our, our face and our bodies turn red and we get really hot. It's, it's very painful. It's getting our attention. So let's say that your story wasn't true. Let's say that you're, you're not a fake. Let's say that you're not an imposter. And not that you ever believe that really, but those were the kinds of the ideas that would be going through our minds, of course. What, how, how do you question, how did you question those stories? And what, if the shame wasn't confirming that those stories were true, what else might the shame have been trying to do for you? I want to appear real thoughtful, but the answer came right to me as soon as you said it, which was the shame kicked me in the ass in a, in, in a good way, right? In a, in a way that like it said, all right, well, you got to continue doing what you say you're going to do. You got to continue like being who you are and not in a perfect sense. You know, it was that sense, it was that piece of, um, you've got to like be like present the way you say that you're going to present, do what you're going to do, you know, do what you say, say what you're going to do, that kind of thing. But it was really a motivational kick in the butt for my parenting. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so that's something that, you know, I go back to, you know, I think about, I have, uh, um, I have a note that I taped on my computer back then. And, you know, it's simple, you know, dear Papa, I hope you have a great day at work. I love you. Love Micah which is the, my, the older hmm. son. And that happened about, hmm. you know, six months after the, just the story hmm. we're talking about. And I have that taped. I've had it. I've actually untaped it as I've gotten new computers and added it again, because it's a, a physical sort of artifact as a reminder, not that things are okay with my kid, but a reminder that I've got to, you know, continue to kick myself in the butt in a, in a good way to, to grow. And, and, and it, it keeps me committed in many ways. It's funny, as you say that, I look over at my psychotherapy desk across the room and there's a little sticky note there that says, take it easy, which my, at the time, 10-year-old daughter, she was nine or 10. She wrote that for me and left it, you know, to take to work. And that just, you know, meant so much, uh, whatever she was perceiving. So that, that's really special that you kept that with you. Oh, yeah. It's funny. I always point it out to my kid and he's like, I know, I know it's there. <laughs> <laughs> that's yeah. great so yeah i'm curious how this lands on you so you know this idea that the shame was again a true emotion that that happens yet it wasn't there to just you know kick you when you're down you know to add insult to injury but it was making you not aware that there's something wrong with who you are deep down or anything like that, but that there was something that went wrong in the relationship. It's making you aware that something is not right to your relationship to your son, to the situation, to society, that you were not fitting into your tribe, so to speak. And then, then you're presented with a choice. It's like, okay, the, the shame, like you said, it kicked me in the butt. It slapped me in the face. It's, it got my attention. And then we were presented with a choice. And you can decide to 
you know, go one way or the other. You could decide to change your behavior or, you know, you could decide to become, you know, a huge marijuana advocate and try to normalize it. Yeah, I mean, you can go any which way, but you're presented with that, that thing. Instead of it being a bad thing, it's more of a wake up call. And then you get to choose creatively how to live your life. Absolutely. And, and it is, and, and, you know, has been an ongoing, I mean, for me, it's also an ongoing choice, right? It's an evolving choice. And so, you know, how does it land? It, it, it's, 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 feels really nice to, to be remembering and thinking about this in this way, because, um, you know, cannabis is not out of my life. We live in Vermont. Like, you know, my, we've had long, you know, important conversations with both of my kids. Um, uh, and they, they see it, it's around and, and, you know, one of our great friends down the road rose it for, you know, professionally and, and, you know, it, it's all there. So it, it was, and, and that's not even the issue, right? The issue was like how to be more open, direct and, and sort of authentic with my children. And so in many ways it, it, it is a constant reminder, um, you know, uh, not just a kick in the butt, but more of a, you know, I don't. I don't want to coast in my life, right? Like I, I believe mm -hmm. in, in, you know, to go back to what we talked about in the beginning about my work is I believe in, in the idea that life is an adventure and it's a journey. Mm -hmm. And I believe that, um, or more than I believe, I'll make it even more, you know, staunch is that I know that we grow through these challenges. We grow through these things we go through and like, um, in that it's a constant reminder that, you know, when things are going well, they're smooth, that's nice, but it's actually not where we get the best treasures. It's not where we get the, 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 the most in terms of our own meaning making and, 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 and things like that. And so I take that in many ways and, and I'm still working on it, lots of things, but like, even when it comes to house chores, which I am now, you know, really wanting to do more of it around the home, but like just trying to work on doing what. I say I need to do or what, you know, my partner and I think about, or, you know, showing up better for all the people who I love, you know, showing up in, yeah, right. in a way that frankly, like I've had arguments with my, my son, my old, same son recently. And he was like, would you tell your journeyman that, is that the way you would recommend to reply? And I'm like, no, you're right. <laughs> so it is just a really good reminder. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, going back to kind of a bird's eye view, you know, I don't see you as a bad guy or an imposter or a fake, you know, in your story back in the day, you know, I see you as a regular guy, you know, you're doing your best to navigate things and to raise your son and everything. And I, I'm curious, were you, have you been able to, I guess, disbelieve those like toxic stories that, you know, imposter syndrome stuff, I'm a fake stuff. Is that something that you have, you know, replaced with a more adaptive true story? How did you deal with those thoughts? Yeah. So it's, it's a good question. Um, and I share a very quick story, a brief version of, of something really like it's a metaphor that I use for this exact thing. Sure. All right. Um, just, I'll, I'll make it very truncated, but basically I'm a big hiker. And so I, a story that I, or a, an idea that I share with a lot of the guys that I work with is imagine you, you drive up to a trailhead and, you know, at most trailheads in Vermont, there's a little covered bulletin board that has a signed up sheet and like, 
a warning about ticks and, and all of those things. And you're excited to go hiking. You know, you know that it's an incredibly well-worn patch. You can see, unfortunately, there's like granola bar wrappers. There's probably a cigarette butt and a Gatorade bottle somewhere. And so, you know, unfortunately, like it's a very well-worn path. And so you're excited. You're about to go. And right before you go, you notice a sign on the bulletin board that says, you know, warning, this path leads to danger and destruction. So then mm -hmm. you step back and you're kind of going, oh, shit, you know, and as you step back, you see mm -hmm. across the parking lot, a little tiny sign that is, you know, you're like, well, I might as well check that out. This gives me pause. And so you go check that out. It's a sign that's like posted right in a bunch of poison ivy and bramble and, and, and thorn bushes. And, you know, you get in there and it says beyond here lies beauty and treasures. There's clearly no path. Mm. And so I often ask guys, what, what do you, what do you, what do you, what would you take? What, what, what would you take? And, you know, often they'll say, well, you know, I want to go to treasures. I want to go to the beauty. And, you know, the truth of the matter is we're neurologically designed to actually go to the dangerous path, the well-worn path, you know, we'll rationalize, well, I'll turn around before it gets bad, or, you know, it can't be that bad. Look how many people. And, you know, we, we try it over and over again, most, mostly with similar results. And the irony is that if we take the bushwhacking trail and we do that enough, we're actually building a new trail, right? Mm -hmm. But the thing is, and the reason why I bring this up is you asked like, am I making new stories or do I fall back still on that um, sort of shame or imposter story? Uh, the toxic story, like you said, is even if you bushwhack so much that you make a new beautiful trail and you get the treasures, like in real life, most trails don't disappear. They get overgrown, they get all, you know, but that well-worn path, if you don't take mm. it anymore, it's still there. And so mm. the times when we're tired, we're overwhelmed, we're stressed, we have some, you know, interpersonal issue, whatever it is, there's that tendency to go in that direction, right? And so, you know, to, to, to answer your question is, you know, I have created lots of really, um, scaffolding and supporting stories around imposter syndrome and, and those kind of things. And, and, and frankly, it's allowed me to be successful in, in the work that I'm doing with fathers and with my own family. And, and, you know, when we have arguments, um, the, the, the foundation is not rocked, so to speak. Um, but right. And this, you know, this happens, you know, if I'm having a particularly tense or, or, or hard time with my wife all of a sudden I do have the thought that goes, you know, holy shit, like you're, you, you're not even doing it with your own wife. Now I'm, I have a, a coaching group later this afternoon. What the heck am I going to tell them? You know, like how about, and I know mm -hmm. that not to be true. And I come back from it much more quickly. And I have lots of supporting imps that can help me change that or be aware of it or, or, or understand where it came from. But, um, it's still there. And, and in some ways when it's there and I recognize it, there comes the here, you know, here comes that motivation again, and it allows me hopefully sooner rather than later, make better choices, you know, with my kids, with my wife. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's really, yeah, such a helpful story. And, and not that I want to go into this right now, but you know, a nice little <laughs> side note is I think with, in my experience with enough psychotherapy, you know, people can create that new emotional reality. I think specifically, not just thinking about it, but, you know, the B in CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, actually acting like it and giving yourself a habitual new experience. I like this idea of weed whacking and actually getting out there physically and making a new path. It's great. And 
you know, the studies of psychedelic medications have shown a lot of promise in helping to covering those old trails with snow and so that you can form new trails and, and possibly seeing some permanent changes with those old trails going away. And, and that's not necessarily a topic we, we need to go into, but it kind of came up and I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Well, I absolutely agree. I, I haven't done a lot of the research currently. I'm loving seeing what's coming out around all that. And I, I think it's really quite promising and, you know, I think there's lots of different experiential ways to build new pathways. Um, and I don't know, I don't know if I could speak to it 100% through the neurological lens as much as I'd like to, it's something I'm, I'm looking into, but I do think that the trail, even if it's fully overgrown is always there. And in some ways that's actually not a bad thing, right? We, it, it, mm -hmm. it, it enlarges our potential for experience, our possibilities for, for making choices. And perhaps when we are ready, whatever that looks like, we actually can be, can go down that trail again and not, and, and deal with that danger and destruction and, and rather than avoid the trail altogether. Right. And so hmm. I think that, you know, through the use of psychedelics or other experiential methods where you're actually doing, we can really have it overgrown. We can, you know, there's all, we can gain some tools for navigating it. You know, we can, you know, there's all that we can change our, the, the lived experience, whether it's our thoughts, our feelings, our behaviors, our interpersonal relationships, but we can, we can navigate it in a very different way. I mean, you know, what if mm -hmm. that trail that leads to death and destruction and danger, we, we get to that point through a different trail and we're like, oh, no, this is what they were talking about. Okay. Let's figure out now if mm -hmm. we have the tools, what are we going to do about it? How are we going to, you know, how are we going to look at it? Right. Yeah. Right now in real time. And, you know, again, this emotion of shame is so relatable. I think we've all experienced it and how, how painful it could be in real time. As you sense, you know, since your emotional state in the moment talking with me right now, this idea that the, the shame, that raw emotion, not, not about you at all, not supporting the story that there's something, you know, flawed with who you are as a human, but it was, you know, it was always there just to help you, to, to wake you up, to, to make you pay attention. What, what's your sense of emotions coming up right now as you kind of fill into that? Well, it, it, it's, you know, metaphorically, you know, it, it's, I, I, the word comes up is, is rising, you know, emotions, not just are rising in that I'm feeling things and they're coming up, but rather there is a, 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 a rising of feeling, you know, in my, in my, in my field and similar to you, I often tell people the goal isn't to feel better, it's to feel. And so this right. idea that, <laughs> you know, feeling this, you know, frankly, it felt vulnerable and timely to have this conversation today anyway, because I happened to be in a sort of a, a challenging space with my wife, but with this conversation, it, there's a motivation to say, you know, all right, how do I show up differently? How do I go upstairs after we finish talking and do something about it? Um, you know, that is the, you know, so it, it, I have connected some of these feelings in the past with a motivation. And so mm -hmm. that rising motivation is what I think is where, where I'm at right this minute, uh, based on this conversation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, the flip side of every so-called negative emotion or scary, painful emotion 
is a, I think of desires, emotional needs, wishes, wants, desires as another category of emotions, because mm -hmm. we oftentimes can't explain why we want what we want. The heart wants what it wants. But, you know, for example, you know, what is the opposite of shame, right? Maybe not sort of the negative sense, but the, the positive sense of pride, you know, maybe a sense of connection, a sense of intimacy, a sense of that love and admiration kind of a thing from your son. And so I think when we tune into the painful emotions, it's an opportunity to look at, well, what, what's the missing desire that I'm not getting met? And then that can inform us of step four, act on the fuck, take action. Mm -hmm. What do you creatively want to do or not do to move towards getting those desires met in a healthy, sustainable way? Mm -hmm. No, I, I think that's great. I mean, and, and the idea of taking action, you know, there's, I would imagine there's a trepidation or even a, a fear to take action in this way, you know, in terms of people, you, you know, people you've spoken to or whatnot, and I feel it myself. Um, but that's part of, you know, to combine kind of, you know, your, you know, step four of act on the fuck with the metaphor of journey or adventure is you know, inherent to every journey or adventure is the real or perceived risk. And so mm -hmm. this idea of like, all right, you know, just as an example, right. I, I mentioned, what am I going to do after we finish this conversation? Right. I'm going to have to take action. I'm going upstairs. Mm -hmm. My wife is going to ask me how this went. And, you know, there is potentially a, a wonderful conversation that I can initiate. Right. Hmm. And so, yeah. you know, the action of, of, of understanding where my needs are and not coming at it with, well, these are my needs and I need you, you know, but really, you know, uh, being, being committed to sort of staying present and connected. I think, you know, connection is a big word for me in my work. You used it just before, like the idea of connections, um, having a foundational sort of supporting support role for us, right? Like when we feel anxious about things or we we know the risk of doing something new you know for me i'm you know not that it's new but right like go upstairs and i say say to my wife hey can we talk like there's a risk you might say no and right. so um so knowing that there's that but also and this actually just came to me as we're talking but also knowing that even if she says no that doesn't mean that like danger, destruction, and, and damage is there. It's that we're in a process. And, you know, one of the, the sayings that we use in the journeyman program is really, you know, in many ways, I'm the source of my own goodness. And so, mm -hmm. you know, even if my wife doesn't want to talk, she's not ready to, I know we have a foundation. I feel safe in that, you know, it's not anything that is so massive that I, I'm concerned in that way. And I'm the source of my own goodness. If she says, no, I don't have to buckle. I don't have to, you know, fall apart and be like, oh no, like without her, you know, I hmm. can maintain who I, who I see myself as. And then I think, you know, that is this idea of like acting, acting or behaviorally. Yeah. In the book, I use the term emotophobia and go into that concept a bit. What I find is that we often get paralyzed with the fear. For example, this example you gave of you know, what if I go try to initiate conversation, connection with my wife? And what if she says no? Then there's going to be some painful emotions that come up, maybe disappointment, frustration, sadness, things like this. And so 
it's not really the fear of her saying no as much as it's the fear of those painful emotions. And if we can make it to that step and also validate those emotions, like, yeah, it makes sense to be afraid of, you know, painful disappointment, sadness, anger, frustration, because that's going to cause, you know, some suffering. And that's a good thing because that's reality. Those emotions, the fear is like tuning you into reality so you can be aware of what you're up against without becoming paralyzed about it. Uh, I, re- I appreciate that. That, you know, it, it, it's interesting how it becomes circular, circular, right? Because then you're back to like, all right, let's draw, drop the fuck shield and start over with it. But you're, you know, it, I imagine, I don't know if you envision it this way, but the way I see it is it becomes this spiral. Uh, of of doing these steps or telling, you know, for me, it's, you know, uh, stories are always circular. And so when you yeah. get to one part of this, you can enter the story at any moment. And when you get to around back to where you started, all of a sudden, some new challenge, you know, and, and they're all connected, but, mm-hmm. you know, it becomes quite circular. And, and, um, as you're saying that it, it, the similarity really struck me. So, yeah. Yeah. It helps me to imagine being in the sea where the waves are going to continue to come in waves, so to speak. And there's going to be moments of calm, but the waves are always going to keep coming whenever they come. And as soon as we can accept that and try to become a good surfer instead of cursing the universe that there's these waves, <laughs> we, we can be, go back to peace and be at peace quite quite content in the midst of little waves big waves tsunamis what whatever may come we just have a a few minutes left and just to kind of wrap up the steps the fifth step is to thank the fuck and what what comes to your mind when i ask you are you able to find sincere gratitude for the painful shame the sadness that sense of loss that you experienced with the story about your son and your your fall from grace and if so, what is your sincere gratitude for those emotions? The, the answer is yes. It was a hard one because it was really, there was a struggle for a long time, but you know, I'm, I have the, the time and distance, you know, like I said, five years ago, he's 15. We, we, you know, we have a very powerful and, and grounded relationship. And so, you know, for me, the gratitude is really that I think I mentioned in the beginning is that pitch, um, I expected or ho- I expected that's th- this to happen, right? And I thought I would have a few more years before it. And I think <laughs> some of the gratitude is the fact that it did happen when it did allows us to have a teenage experience of parent of father son that I believe is is really quite quite amazing, actually. You know, a, a, in terms mm. of connection, and obviously it goes up and down, of course, as as all relationships do. But you know, I think. I'm, I mean, I'm eternally grateful because my son and I are, are, are really connected. He, he, he's my, my, he's my dude, you know? And I think, well, you know, I don't know if, if we're as connected or we're, you know, more connected than we would have been if that hadn't have happened, but I'm certainly grateful that it did. I can't question what would have happened. So I know that it was a part in creating this, this grounding for us. So I'm really quite grateful about that. Yeah, that's so beautiful. I was thinking, you know, it kind of, it shattered the fantasy and there was a sense of loss and grief as there should, these emotions should arise. Yet they say truth is stranger than fiction. And, you know, truth is 
is the reality and it's greater than fiction. And so it served the purpose of bringing you back to reality and making your relationship with him based on reality yep. instead of, you know, these perceptions. And, you know, I'm just imagining, God forbid, if, you know, there, if there had been a tragedy or something that took you guys away from each other after that, but the fact that you got to go through that earlier, you know, and, and build that foundation earlier, you know, could have been a, a hugest blessing in disguise. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I really, I think so. Uh, that's a capital T truth, not just the lowercase one. I, I think it was, it was absolutely a useful and important thing for us. Yeah. And I, I think in many ways, the, 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 the ability, you know, it was, it, it shattered some fantasies and, and you're right. Like the, like real life <laughs> is actually strange and unusual and intriguing and, and, you know, growth inducing more than any fantasy really ever. It's, it's, it's important to, you know, like I said, the idea of moving from superhero, just to straight up, like, you know, hero or person mortal, right? Like we, we have a, a I think yeah. there's a potential for connections that are intensely more powerful as a mortal than as a superhero. And lots of great stuff with Jason Frischman. Men's Coaching for Fathers. Your work is our work. Your journey is our journey. And the website is journeymenfoundation.com. Anything else you wanted to add before we wrap up? Oh, goodness. Um, I think the one thing that really wasn't as relevant, but we started with was this idea of nourishment and, and food and all of that. And I think, I don't know how to throw that in here in the last minute, but I just want to put a plug in the, the, how important that is, like sharing, breaking bread, share or gluten-free bread as it's maybe or whatever, but, you know, sharing <laughs> nourishment with one another in families and friends and communities is a massive part of I think how we grow and change our societies, it's a big part of the work I do. You know, so I often say to people that I'm having, I'm just meeting and having conversations, but you know, I hope someday we can have a meal together. Yeah. I'd love to have a beer <laughs> and some sourdough bread as I, I oh, yeah. eat FODMAPs and maybe some gluten-free, but I look forward to it. Thanks again, Jason. Absolutely. Thank you, Alex. It's great talking with you. Hey guys, thanks for watching. This is Dr. Alex Wills with Give a F Actually. Make sure to check us out on Apple Podcasts or anywhere you get your podcasts. Thanks for watching. Make sure to check out the merch store. RadicalEmotionalAcceptance.com Bye. Bye.